Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it. You and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We are already having fun, and we just hit the record button. Tonight, we've got a, a guest, a southern boy, Alabama, Adam Campbell from Hillside Kennels. We're excited to have him on, and I'm even more excited because he's going to give it a shot tonight at our intros. So Adam feeds uke. He also has doctor products. And so, Adam, why don't you start us off with a little Yukonuba, baby? A little Yukonuba, baby. I like it, man. Hey, I'm I'm a big Yukonuba fan. Um, I think they're making a great product. Their their service is great. Um, just really, really good dog food. My dogs look good. Their teeth are good. They're healthy. Some of them may be a little fat, you know, but uh, it's good stuff, man. Very good. I'd I'd like them a little, you know, actually some of my dogs, I have to feed them a little more to keep weight on. And then others, I've got to back a little off. I feel like each dog reacts to every food differently. And so it's really important to find the right blend that works for you and your dog. But um, yeah, man, my, my dogs are looking good. So I totally agree. Some take more than others, you know, just, they're all different. They're like humans. They're, we're all different, you know? Look yeah. at you and look at me. I'm a little heavier than you are, Bob. Well, Kevin and I came from the same breeding stock, and look at him and look at me. All right, Adam, how about that Dogtra? Man, Dogtra puts out a good product also, and um, I really like their e-collars. and I mean, their bark collars are top of the line. I bet I have 25 of those things down there. So, um, you know, that gets you sleep at night. You know, sleep fuels the machine around here. So, man, I couldn't sleep without those Dr. Bark collars. Yeah, and are you using the YS600? I have some 600s. I have some 300s. And I tell you, 
um, last time I ordered some, J.D. Babb, one of my very best friends, and he's like, man, you got to try the 300. You know how J.D. talks. You oh, remember, yeah. buddy? And uh, I was like, J.D., that little thing. And he's like, dude, I promise you won't regret it. And, man, I love them. The 300s are awesome. They're a lot lighter. They, you know, they're just as effective. So tell me a little bit about the 300 because I don't have one. What you know, I, it's just a smaller receiver box on the collar. It's, it's smaller. It's lighter. Um, it has a the, the collar strap is is not as wide. I think it's a three quarters versus a one inch. Um, is that the one that know, takes a battery or is it rechargeable? It's rechargeable. It's oh, rechargeable. It, it goes Sandy. one to seven versus one to ten. Um, but I promise you, it's got enough in the tank to uh, to zip their mouth shut. You know. So you're not having to listen to that all the time. I'm with you. I'm with you. Cool. So I'll jump into a little Gunner Kennel. Hashtag man's best kennel. Um, man, I'm really excited. Actually, our local club, the Finger Lakes Retriever Club, is hosting a mock contest because of COVID. We couldn't have ours, but the club's going to get together and do theirs. And I, you know, I guess I'm patting myself on the back, but I came up with this idea of, Hey, we sell Gunner Kennels. Why don't we raffle one off? We'll use my little slight discount, and the club can make a little bit of money, sell some raffle tickets instead of doing a Cabela's gift card or a gun or whatever. And those tickets are flying off the shelf. Everybody is excited about these kennels and wants one, and so I'm pumped for them. They are a sturdy product. The company is fantastic. I love what they stand for, and I love that they they work, right? Like, you can go on their Instagram at Gunner Kennels and, and look at all the car wrecks that people have had with their kennels in the back of the truck, and the dogs walk away pretty much scratch-free, and it's unbelievable. So if you're interested in learning more, you can shoot us a direct message. We'd be happy to help you, you know, find the right fit. Their website's super comprehensive. So check out Gunner Kennels. Next up is Traeger Grills. Smoke them if you got them, baby. What you got, Kevin? Go on. I see him leaning into the microphone. Yeah. Unbelievable. Bob always cracks a a joke, which is good because he's not funny, so he's got to get those in there. But I made pizza the other night. I I usually only smoke meat on there, some, some veggies when you have to mix them in, but pizza, smoked pizza. Real deal, huh? Real deal. Try it. Okay. Anybody's got one. Get some. There you go. Traeger Grills. Welcome to the Traeger Hood, baby. Last up, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. These are the guys who do our analytics and keep us connected to you. Um, so thank you to them. Check them out on Instagram, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. All right, Adam. You did a phenomenal job. Fantastic at your intros i'm i'm very fired up for what we have in store here so stealing my job though it's okay don't worry about it kev (laughs) head producer i must i must be a natural oh yeah come on we're gonna (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have hillsides podcast coming up next um so adam what i'd like you to do is just introduce yourself to people a little bit tell them about who you are as a person and then how you got started in the game okay um, of course, my name is Adam Campbell, and I'm I'm from a little town called Raglan, Alabama, which is up on the other side of Birmingham. But I migrated to Tuscaloosa to go to school. Um, I met my wife here in, 
in Tuscaloosa. Um, and we've been married for 15 years now. We kind of stayed here. I live in a little town called Foster's, which is just outside of Tuscaloosa. Um, my wife is from L.A., Bob. Did you know that? Like Los Angeles? Oh, lower Alabama. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, man, I just fell head over heels in love with that gal. And man, we, we're going strong. We got two little girls, Marley and Kathy May. They're eight and six. Um, I was a school teacher. Uh, started out, I went to college and, and got a degree in special education, and I taught geometry at Tuscaloosa County High School and coached football. And you know, I was watching film one day on a Saturday after a football game. We were breaking down film, and I, I was looking at the newspaper, and I, I saw a an ad for labs, you know, free to a good home. And I called the guy, and it was, he was like, man, I just got rid of the last one. I was like, well, dang, man, I, I hate that. And, and then – like 30 minutes later, he called back. He's like, hey, this guy backed out on me. You still interested? And I was like, yeah, me and my wife will come down this afternoon. So we went down and we got Molly. Um, ended up not being a purebred lab. But, <laughs> um, you know, we we were young and we were married, but we wanted a dog. And, and we got her. Man, we just fell in love with that little dog. And she, um, man, has really changed my life. And I got the book Water Dog, and I was like, man, if I'm going to have a dog, I'm going to fool with it. I'm going to train it. Because I come from a long line of houndsmen, you know, the Campbells. My granddaddy um, was a coon hunter, and he had hounds. And my uncles, they all, we grew up doing that, you know. So, like, man, I can't have a dog. It's just an old dog. So I started fooling with it. And, man, I really fell in love with the retriever training and, you know, we did our obedience. So, man, I mowed, I mowed the tea pass. You know, if you probably read that book, hadn't you, Bob? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I got out in the field there, and I, I borrowed somebody's lawnmower, and I cut me a tea out there. And, man, that little dog was super, super intelligent. And she's 13 now. She'll be 13 next month. Um, she's still living. and But I'm – I was out training up at the school one day and I was still coaching and teaching at this time, you know, and I ran into a guy out there. He was training on the field where I was training at and he had an old chocolate dog. His name was Mark Corwin. You know, to this day, me and Mark are best of buddies. Cool. And, you know, just the people that these dogs bring into your life, it's incredible. That's a whole nother story. Yeah. But, um, you know, I started fooling with that dog and I met a guy named Lauren Langevin. He's from Ontario, Canada, and he comes down here south of Tuscaloosa in the winter. Um, so I went and met Lauren, and he, I said, Lauren, I'd like to learn more. I, you know, Molly would go and get a duck. She was four spec. She would go, stop, left, right, back, but you know, like nothing, nothing fancy. So I wanted to learn more. I met Lauren, and he told me, he said, um, if you'll come down and throw birds for me, I'll teach you anything you want to know. And he Heck said, be yeah. here at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock Saturday. And um, I was down there like 7 a.m., man, and we got at it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> now, was he a professional or an amateur? He, he is a professional. He's still going. He's 76 right now. He's won the National Open in Canada three times, I think. Wow. What a guy yeah, to learn he's, from. He's, he's, he's the real deal, man. The what real a guy deal. to learn from. That's so cool. So, um, I just kind of dug in like a tick with him. and. 
every free moment I had, I was spending with Lauren. And um, he taught me so much. Tell, tell me a little bit. Let's take a step back about the okay. the houndsman, the long line of houndsmen. What kind of <clears throat> what kind of hounds did your grandfather run? Um, it was be my dad's dad, and he had you know he had coon dogs, which would be like Walker hounds, blue tick hounds, and so forth. And then he had um, rabbit dogs, which would be beagles and, and so forth like that. You know, and how I came up with my name Hillside Kennels. When I was growing up, Granddaddy Irvin died, I think, when I was six, so I didn't really get to know him that well. But um, they would always tell me, your granddaddy had that whole hillside up through there full of dogs. Cool. You know, so I kind of, when I named my my little business here, Hillside Kennels, that's where that came from. Um, everybody so cool. always wonders where you come up with something like that. So, um, But he had two sons named Steve and, and Ronnie, and they just kind of took me, and we would go coon hunting, and they taught me how to, you know, it has nothing to do with retrievers, but they taught me how to read a dog and to think like a dog and, and so forth like that. So I think as I started training dogs, I think that carried me a lot. That taught me a lot going into this retriever deal. I find that pretty interesting where having somebody show you how to read a dog, maybe we can dive into that a little deeper, where – some people I feel like are naturals. They're kind of gifted and understand animals and can see things happen before they happen and manipulate the situation to get the desired response from the animal, whether it be, I find that people who work with horses and have like grown up around horses and then they get a dog and like come and train with me, you can just tell that they're on a different level with the dog. And so it's, that's pretty neat that at a younger age they took you under the wing and taught you that stuff and then you know implementing that into your retriever training what kind of when you're running hounds see i've never really done and i think i've coon hunted with dogs once and rabbit hunted with beagles two or three times but when they're i mean they're kind of off in the distance are you reading sound are you reading what, what are you reading you are you're reading sound and and even though you can't see them move, the way that they're working a track and the way that they're moving through the woods, you can learn a lot about what a dog's thinking. Like we had one dog named Dan one time that could move a track real fast and he'd bark on the track. And then we had one named Bojack one time that he would never bark on the track unless it was really hot. He moved it incredibly fast. And he almost treed first every time because he wasn't, he didn't necessarily waste time um, you know, barking as he was running the track, he was just moving. But you can, you know, how they move through the woods and, you know, just being around them as when you're bringing them up, you know, you do a lot of cage work and stuff like that. And, you know, seeing their interest, just like when we look at a puppy and say, you know, when we're throwing little fun bumpers or whatnot, you know, you can kind of get a feel for what kind of, you know, desire, if that dog has any birdiness and, and whatnot. We kind of do the same thing with a puppy and a coon dog. Of course, it's been a long time since I fooled one, but you still remember those type of things that, you know, you, we really look for the, you know, the natural abilities in, in the dogs we see, and it's mo even more that way with a, with a hound. Yeah. I, I feel... And you can see, like, you're, you can you can see your rabbit dogs, and, you know, when we had those beagles and we when we would rabbit hunt, you can watch those dogs work more 
you can see them move in the woods more and you kind of get a better feel for it. Do you have any cool stories or like a favorite night out with your, your, uh, family out hunting? Um, I, I, my favorite one, and this is, it's not, we weren't what we had desired that night, but the last night I went hunting with my uncle Runt, um, we, we had two old young dogs and we turned them loose and we was on the back home. We live in the foothills of, um, the Appalachian Mountains, basically, where they come down into Alabama. And we turned those, we was on, back there was a mountain we called Backbone Mountain. We sent them off the north side of it, and they struck, and they, and they got to moving pretty good. And I knew pretty quick that they were running the deer, and they were still, they were supposed to be coon dogs, you know, which is not what you want. And, right. But, I mean, it was, Bob, it was a hell of a race. And we got up on top of Backbone, and it was basically the highest point out there. And we listened to those suckers run that deer all night and it was just it was a great race and it, we just sat back and laughed even though they were doing wrong and we enjoyed it and I, I remember that night I guess above all of them. that's funny man you know I yeah I think sometimes when a dog screws up you know I sometimes am quick to be annoyed or be like yeah oh, you know whatever and then sometimes they screw up and you're like yeah that's that's just funny you gotta let that ride um well Hey, it goes back to this right here. It takes zero ability to give effort. I used to tell my football players this, and I kind of took it over in the dog training also. It takes zero ability to give me everything you got. Whether you're the worst player out here or the best, you can give me everything you got. Well, those dogs, they weren't doing right, but they were giving us everything they had, and we just kind of enjoyed that moment, you know? Yeah. That's Same thing with, the, with these retrievers, man. Just Just try. Exactly. Exactly. I actually got my bu- uh, chops busted by you. You know uh, Blaine Tarnacki, right? I, I know Blaine. I've I, I met him a time or two. Nice guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I did that little Instagram post about effort and blah blah blah, and he ragged on me so hard for just being cliche. And but it's true, man. If a dog a dog might suck, but if they come out of the box happy and trying hard it's so much more fun to work with and you can get something out of them than the dog who has some talent, but is in it for themselves or has hot days and cold days and, you know, just doesn't try. I, I'm with you. And, you know, you know, I'm not taking a blind side on that. I, <laughs> I'd rather have a truck full of them that come off happy to work. They may not be able to find a school bus, but, they come off the trailer and they're ready to go to work and they try hard. I can train that dog a lot better than I can. That talented dog that's, that's really smart, but doesn't want to necessarily give you the effort. And I'm just, I'm way better at the other dog than I am the, the one that doesn't try. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, let's dig into a little bit about your background as a trainer and how you, so you talked about the gentleman from Ontario and coming up, you know, you had your, your Molly dog. When did this idea of maybe I want to give this a run for a career? Right. Um, so I was teaching school and I was coaching football. And then I was five years into it. Okay. And as a teacher, you we, mean, and coach? As a, as a teacher and coach. And, and I had gotten Molly at, during this time. And we got pregnant, and we had our first little girl, Marley. 
and my wife worked midnight. Um, she's a nurse, so I just didn't want somebody else to be there to raise my kid, you know, while I'm up there coaching football. So I quit coaching football and just stayed on as a school teacher. Well, when I did that, I took in a couple of dogs like for buddies, you know. They had seen Molly, and Molly by this time had progressed a lot, and she was just like the best duck dog anybody had been with. Every time we go somewhere, they were like, wow, man, that that is a really nice duck dog. And so um, I, my, my brother got a dog, and I trained it for him and, and another guy. So I started out in my garage there with just two or three, and I'd teach in school, and I'd come home full with two or three dogs, be there, you know, to help with my little girl and whatnot. And so it went from two to three to four to six. You know how it goes. Yeah. And it became a point where I, I had – eight or 10 dogs. And then we bought this place down here in Foster's where we live at now, where we built our kennel. And I was, you know, I was going to school during the day. And then I'd come home and work till eight or nine o'clock at night, doing obedience in the garage, force fetching in the garage at night. And it was just, it had gotten to be too much. So it was just time to pick one or the other. And at that point it was a no brainer. I wanted to be a dog trainer and, I just, I mean, I fell in love with it. And I still, I love what I do. I love training dogs. And I don't, you know, that was, um, this was my seventh year to not teach school to be a full-time professional this past school year. So going into my eighth year as a full-time professional now, and I don't regret it one bit. Good for you, man. That's fantastic. I love the stories of the old dogs, too, that, that kick it off. You know, for me, it was Buck. And he's almost 11 or is 11. I'm terrible with birthdays. Both my, I can never remember my dad's birthday. And then I, I never remember my dog's birthday, but either way, you know, that dog started it. And I traveled all over the country sleeping on couches of different pros. And like you said, the people we've, we've met that have influenced our lives in this sport. And just because of the dogs, you know, he opened up a whole new world and then it became a career and a lifestyle and major change. So it's really neat that that Molly dog is still around and, you know, I'm sure getting a lot of love from the kids and stuff and, and it's opened up a career and a successful one. She actually, um, she lives with my mom and dad now. And uh, so does Buck. And, you know, she ended up, when she grew up, she got little funny-looking ears, and the hair on her tail was probably three or four inches long. So there's something else in there. I didn't have papers, um, so I had to get a limited registration through UKC because, you know, after I took on a couple of two or three dogs, I was like, man, I'm going to try these hunt tests they're talking about. So I went to the first hunt test I ever went to, South Mississippi. Uh, you know, I went right into finish. First one. Oh dang! I'm going to go. I'm going to go run finish. You know, this dog's ready. And Ronnie Harwell was one of the judges. If you were around here, and in it. and he went on to talk about Molly. And he always asked me about my half breed uh, <laughs> every time. Every time I see him, you know. But man, that little dog, Bob. I think she ended up. She started out with zero points, and so we had to have seven finish passes to get uh, HRCH title, and. 
she went she passed seven straight um she had i seen her hunt one bird out nice. of those seven sets now i didn't say i didn't ha- i didn't say i handled to that bird she hunted it like an extended hunt right every other mark i remember was that go right in there and pop you know just right there it is she is the markingest dog to this day i believe i've ever laid my hands on that's so and handled cool. like a maserati i mean just she was perfect she crap a little bit you know the standard wasn't that high back then but you know she that, could really really get them really that's really them. cool that's really cool yeah old buck lives with my folks now too he just got to the point with all the dogs and where my business was it stressed him out too much and so he was losing weight and just he wasn't himself from all the moving around and six month old puppies picking on him and he just had had enough and so my parents took him for you know two months and it's now been like four years but i still see him all the time and he gets just as happy to see me now as he does you know back in the day and we still he'll go out and pheasant hunt for like a half hour or an hour or take him on a warm weather duck hunt early in the fall but those first dogs are pretty neat, man. And it's so I ran a couple finish tests with Buck. I don't think I ever got him finished. I think we got three passes. I probably should finish that, but he, you know, not anymore. You couldn't do that. <laughs> you just said he's like eleven. I know, but we pheasant hunt for like forty minutes, and he sleeps the entire rest of the day. He's awesome. No doubt that he's awesome. But I know, but I feel like you know, hey, he could go kind of owe it to him. Yeah, yeah I feel well. like he could go pick up a triple, maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> if you give him an hour break in between. <laughs> oh man. Um so all right, let's let's dig back in. I'm sorry. We digress. So you do a little HRC, you 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 do AKC, um and and you're gearing up like I am for the Master National. Are you what do you got going this year? I was somebody asked me that the other day and I'm terrible when, when somebody asked me like how old is that dog or 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 need like a, a number. I think we've got fifteen or so qualified and if this last chance test in North Alabama we've got two more that can qualify. So fifteen or sixteen qualified. Um last year I took ten. I imagine that number, you know, like Big Tig I think is gonna be retired. Uh Jimmy Big, a big white dog named Jimmy that I trained is going to be retired. Um, so I imagine I'm going to end up with that 10 to 12 number. Oh, okay. Um, I think, I think that's about what I have here now pre training. So, Good you know, you. And if they're not going, I mean, if they're planning on going, they need to be here in the next, you know, very, very short time. Cause, you know, we've started our pre national program and getting ready for that deal. What does that look like for you? Um, what it, what does the pre national training look like for me? Mm-hmm. Um, like right now, I would say they're a little rough, and we're gonna start working on climbing that hill to getting where we want to be. And I'm hoping, you know, we're getting to the peak of that hill around the end of September when that national starts. So, you know, right now we're we're throwing a lot of singles, and you know, maybe right now we're bigger then we're going to see at the national. So I would like to say, you know, during hunt test season, we kind of back off them a little bit and maybe train for more like what we're going to see 
And um, I told the guys the other day, I said, look, we're back to training dogs now. So we may have some birds out there a lot further than a hunt test right now. But so I, it's a little bit, it's a little bit bigger. It's going to be a little bit more difficult than what we're going to see at the Master National. And then we'll kind of bring those guys back down to earth as it gets closer. And hopefully, you know, goal is to get them to peak right there going into the national. Absolutely. It is like an athlete. You're, you're trying to get them to peak at the right time. Right. And, you know, I, we, I try not to overwork them. I think sometimes we get into um, a deal where we going into a, a big event like this, we want to overwork them too much. And then, they're a little, maybe a little fatigued, um, maybe a little bit. Even though you got that high-powered dog there, you can sometimes they can be disinterested to the point to where they're not marking exactly where that bird fell, but kind of the area. Mm-hmm. So we, I want them from a from a mental standpoint to not be fatigued, also, not just physically. Absolutely. Are you throwing a lot of? Uh, how often are you throwing pheasant flyers? Right now. I'm right now I'm not doing any pheasant flyers. Not not at this current moment. Um when we get within about six weeks within is when I'll start breaking out my pheasant. Okay. Yeah, we haven't thrown any pheasant flyers either, but I have been intermixing dead pheasants. Right. I I do that too. Okay. Yeah. I have a freezer that pheasants only and I have freezers for ducks. Hi. Okay. Great point. This is uh that's I, a really good point. I never thought about that. My, the guy who works for me, Jimmy, and I were talking about this because he's like, ah, you're ruining the the pheasants. They're in the the cooler with the ducks. I'm like, ah, hey, you know. But do you really buy into that? I mean, I mean it makes sense. It, do, it does make I mean, sense. I, that's fair. I'm not. And Bob, I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you, I'm not real smart, but. <laughs> Well, you're, you're talking you put, to the second least one then. But I think if you put something that don't have much smell next to something that has a lot of smell, the thing that don't have much smell is going to have more smell than it did before. It's kind of like me sitting next to Kevin right now. Kind of, I mean, Pretty spot Kevin's going to be stinking more when y'all get done up there. That's right. Crock feet. <laughs> but I do. I separate them, man. I, I mean, it may, not make, it may not make a hill of beans, but I do it's smart and i you know i i try to mix and mingle so like you know maybe in the setup i may go if i got a hard bird and i'm throwing a pheasant i may my go bird might be a duck yeah that's what i do i do it's it's almost like duck duck goose but it's duck duck pheasant right and uh it's Truthfully, though, you know what I'm noticing? Last year, I felt like I had a problem with the pheasant. Now, I don't think Memphis has ever pheasant hunted. She is not. Cruz, guaranteed, never pheasant hunted. Ember the Chessie, had. Ember never had a problem finding a pheasant. The other two did. Now that we had worked them more on pheasants, even just intermixing the dead ones, they're fine. Um, Kenai has pheasant hunted. She's fine. May has pheasant hunted. She's fine. I find that in New York, they release pheasants, um, and you can go hunt them on state land. And so the dogs who've gone out a few times with their owner, they don't have to be, like, number one pheasant dog, but if they've gone out and flushed them and found them and, you know, retrieved them, 
we really never have a problem with them. I wouldn't say blinking them, but running over them and hunting and looking for a duck. But Memphis and Cruz, who'd never pheasant hunted, they struggled last year. Well, when I when I start shooting pheasant flyers, Bob, I, my dogs won't get nothing but a pheasant until the national. So no more duck marks? No more duck marks. Dang, son. Um, I think you... I think you kind of have to be careful about that because they. I think they like ducks more. Um, but I try to turn their nose on, which we're not having pheasants this year, so that may change the game totally. But I did not I know that. To, yeah, it's duck only this year. But so, so why are we throwing pheasants on? Because I think it makes them focus more. Okay. I think they got. I think they know. I think. I think these dogs are way smarter than we give them credit for. And I think they know it's a, a pheasant. I think they know they got to focus more because they're harder to find. Okay. But I, I going into the national, you know, once I start shooting those pheasant flyers, I don't I train with nothing but pheasant because I want their nose turned totally towards the pheasant. You know, I want them, when they go in there, they're thinking pheasant, they're smelling for pheasant. They'll never forget what a duck smells like. I don't, you know, that's in there. So you don't have to worry about them running over a duck looking for a pheasant. They're not going to do that. But they will run over a pheasant looking for a duck. 100%. I've seen it happen happen to me. Dude. I learned the hard way. Yeah. How many dogs did you pass last year? Um, Seven. Seven out of ten? Seven out of ten. Hey, here's the thing, man. I'm still mad. The three, the three that I failed had plates already. One of them had four plates. Um, the three dogs that I failed hurt me to this day. But you know, it is what it is. It's the ones that failed that drive you, than necessarily the ones that pass anyway. Yeah, that's true. Now, what you did know. they go out for? And what, like, did you learn anything from yeah. it? Because I did, and. I'll tell you my story after you tell me yours. Um, the, I lost one in the first series. She double handled, and it was it was one of those deals. It was a pheasant test, and the wind shifted, and it it went from blowing kind of away from us to blowing quartering towards us. Mm-hmm. And like the the flyer was the go bird. It was like 140, and there was a bird like 80, 85, and they were pretty tight. Once you got out there to the flyer station, the bird there was not a lot of separation. And it was blowing, the, and you know how when we shoot those feathers, it was blowing the feathers back toward that short bird. Mm-hmm. So she got in there and she hunted the flyer short. And she hunted almost back to it and then was going to hunt back into the short bird. So I handed her to the flyer, got the walk-up bird, and then when I sent her for the, the right-hand bird, she just overran it. It's double handle. Gotcha. Um, Big Jimmy, I lost him in the four series. And, it, it, you know, anybody around here knows Big Jimmy. He. He's a big old white dog, and he is stylish, and he is high-powered. So um, we we had a choppy blind in the first, and then we had a handle in the third that was pretty big, and then I had a blind in the, the fourth that was choppy, and they, and he just penciled out. Gotcha. And um, and I lost Big Tig, man. My the mascot around here, Grand Champion, had four plates, and then he went in on the bird, and it, it was a, one of those mom and pop stations. And 
the wind was blowing left and right. And he selected the right-hand bird, and if I could go back, I would have, you know, pulled him off of it and got the left-hand bird out of that out of that flower pot. But he got up there hunting, and he caught wind of that bird down, and I could not handle him back up the hill, and he ended up switching on me. Gotcha. So let's take a second and maybe explain the rules quickly. So if a dog establishes a hunt on a bird, so this tig out of a flower, a mom and pop, which is one little location and a bird comes out to the left and a bird comes out to the right. So if he goes out to the right, starts establishing a hunt and leaves that area to go to the other bird and you allow it, you're out. That's right. So he had to handle him and keep him on that right-hand bird. Um, and kind of same with the example of the first dog you gave where it caught wind of the feathers and hunted short and you had to handle, and then it, you know, just got hung up and you had to handle again, um, to keep it from going to the old fall. Um, that's kind of what happened to Cruz. This was the third series and it was a water test and first bird was a down the shore, right to left. Second bird was a big, like almost across the pond at Goose Pond at Cooper Black, and then a short bird came out and splashed in your face. So I sent her for the short bird, and I tried to punch her out to the long left-hand bird, and she didn't have the grit to stay in the water. She started fading, 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 and I was afraid to handle. And this is what I learned. So... I was afraid to handle, and she was, okay, if you're going to make this mistake and get out early, at least you're heading towards the short bird, right, uh, The down the shore. So it ain't pretty, but you're going to go pick up that bird. Well, she didn't get out correctly and started hunting, couldn't find it, started hunting further away from it, and then was like, oh, I remember the other bird, the further one away, right? started beelining it down the shoreline to that bird. I had to stop her and handle her back to that shoreline bird. She went and got it, came back, and then when she had to punch out again, same thing happened. She faded, faded, faded. I had to handle and double-handled. What I learned is, and maybe you'd agree or disagree, but almost the just survive. Survive somehow, think on your feet, and survive. If I had handled her and not been afraid of, like, you know, if you're going to handle, you kind of maybe want to handle it on the last bird that they got to pick up, right? Because if you got to handle on the go bird or the second bird, well, shoot, now it's got 100% pick that bird up or you're out. So I was afraid to use my handle up mid-run. Well, Ember, the Chessie, did the same thing, but I learned from my mistake, handled her to the long bird, and as soon as I cast her to it, she's like, oh, yeah, boom, picked it up and then ran the down the shore bird perfect. And she stayed in and ended up getting a plate. And I wonder to myself to this day, if I had made that decision with Cruz, maybe she would have continued playing and passing. But instead, I was afraid to to handle. So I don't know. It might catch me this year. And I, next year, I might be like, yeah, no, no, you got to let it ride. But I figured... The just survive somehow has stuck in my brain. What do you think on that? I, I think the key to passing this deal is 
it's surviving. You can't, you have to avoid that detrimental mistake that puts you out, that zeroes you. Um, if you can do that, your chances of passing grow, go up dramatically. Right. So I, I, I don't, like on your first dog there, that dog, if she got in there and hunted that short bird, man, she probably should have came up with it. I, I don't lay all blame on you because I probably would have done the exact same thing. Well, let's let her fade in here. Get the short bird. I'll get my – I've already got my go bird, right? Yep. Yep. So then I'll handle on the long bird. Well, she kind of puts you in a in a predicament there. Exactly. Um, I don't think you did wrong by no means, but you also did well by learning from your mistakes. That's just like uh, me and Patrick were talking about Yeti the other day. That's the dog that double handled in the first series. She – You've got to get the go bird. You got to. Right. You got to help me out more than that. You know, she's got to go out there and get that bird. And if she does. We handle on the little right hand bird over there, the eighty yarder, which eighty percent of the flight handled on, and we're off to the second series. And going into the national last year, if you would have said Adam picked one dog to come past, and I would have told you Yeti, mm. um, because she was she's that good and. She was just on, man. She, you know, looking back, we were talking today. Maybe she peaked too early last year, and I don't think so. She was, she was money going into that deal. She just got a tough break, man. Those, yeah, those feathers, and that, you know, that's the go bird, Bob. And those feathers were still falling by the time the dog made it out there. Right. Oh, so they yeah. just once that wind changed, the dogs just started. They seen the feathers falling. They just fell right in there. And she just didn't get deep enough to work that deal out. Right, right. Now, you've ran some field trials too, correct? I have. I've dabbled in some field trials, yes. What do you think about them? Do you enjoy them? It, you know, dabble is kind of, I would say, I I don't even dabble. I've done it a little. But, <laughs> no, yeah, you've you've had some success in them. So, tell us a little bit about that. Um, I really enjoy them. I, I love the difficulty and, you know, it makes you, makes you work hard and, you know, because it's dog eat dog. So you got to go out there and compete with the other dogs versus compete against yourself and the standard. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. You know, I had a couple of dogs that have, I think I've got a blue. He had a um, qualified all age and, I've had a couple of fourths and a third and some jams in the in the queue, and I actually ran blue in the open, uh, oh, wow. um, and, which was a lot of fun, you know. And he did every first series um, that we ran to me. I think I ran three opens, and every first series he did it. And um, one of them they didn't call him back; he must not have done it well enough. But the other two, I got called back to the lamb line. Cool. Um, and just. It, that's just, just a different game. That open is a monster, and it's just it's so different. I, I like it, but where I'm at in my life with my family, it just don't fit well. The master game fits better to me right now Cool. where I'm at in my life. So that's what I do. And I, I love doing the master test also. I do too. I, I really do. I feel comfortable. I feel an ounce of nervousness and excitement for it. Um. And then just the Master National, I, I got bit by the bug last year, man. I was sick to my stomach for 12 days straight. You're, you know, 10 days, but I guarantee you those two days beforehand, I was sick to my stomach. Just nerves. And 
waking up every day. Am I, are we going to run today? All of a sudden it's like 5 PM and you're like, man, I got like 12 dogs to go. And then you don't run. And so you're sick to your stomach again all night and wake up the next morning. Like, ah, here we go. I, I got bit by the bug and I would like to run some cues with some of the the good dogs we have right now. I think they're capable and, and have heads on their shoulders and, and love to mark and run pretty good blinds. And it's something we'll dabble more in in the future, but it's not, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not, not even in the slightest. So that's also why I think it would make, make me work harder and challenge myself and learn and screw up and fail and, you know, go home early and, and then fight another day. And the, in the field trial game, it was always I was trying to convert my hunt test dogs into into running cues, right? But at the same time, we're still running hunt tests. So the long retired, I can't tell you how many times I, we were to the four series in the queue, and like, man, this is this dog is is the dog to beat, and this pop the first two marks and the long retired on water just have to handle or couldn't get it or whatnot. It just always seemed to come back and bite me. That's a, that's the money bird, you know. I remember the first one I went into the four series, getting good. I was like, "Oh yeah, we're about to tear them up," and I got my butt kicked on the water in the four series. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's just hard. It's so hard. It's hard, yeah. You, taking a dog that runs hunt tests and, and converting them, where now, all right. So I'll ask you this question: Do you think it's easier to convert a field trial dog to hunt tests? versus a hunt test dog to field trials or depends on the dog? Uh, I, I 100% going to go with it's easier to convert a field trial trained dog to hunt test. Um, I train, when I build my dogs, I train them like we're going to run cues. Okay. So I don't train, when I'm training my puppies, I don't train for, like, I, I do some, but, like, I train them as if they're going to be a qualifying dog. And then we fall back down to the master level. And I feel like that just makes your dogs better. So explain that a little further. What are you doing? You using white coats, long birds? Oh, oh yeah. My guys wear white every day. Um, so, you know, starting out without the younger guys, we'll leave those guns out. We'll start teaching them retire marks really early. Um, whether it be, you know, walkaways or, or, you know, pitching them offline. And they may not may not be that far away, but we're teaching them that there was a guy there and then now he's gone, but you got to remember where that bird is mm-hmm. early. But, you know, if it's a real long bird, we'll leave him out. So when we're, we're like, when we're pre-national training right now, you know, just starting that deal up, that's the way we're doing it. So, you know, my younger dogs are coming up and if they've been through D-cheat and whatnot, and we're doing a, a big water set, that's what they do. We may leave the gun out. We may break it down where they get, you know, two singles and a double or a single and a double or three singles, whatever we're doing that day. We may break it down for those guys. But we build them as if they're going to be derby dogs or or, or qualifying dogs. I got you. Now, there's uh, the mini debate out there. People ask questions all the time. Are you? How often are you throwing multiple marks? Um, I throw a lot of multiples, and 
you say, well, don't that create head swinging? I think you have to attack head swinging by throwing multiples and getting them to look at that bird for longer. I just, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of multiples, probably more than I should. Okay. <laughs> but, um, I do a lot of multiples and I like to make that dog sit there and look at it for three or four, five, ten seconds. It, you know, I got other little things that I do if they do head swing. What do you do? But I, one thing I'll do is I'll have Mr. Dennis be out there and I'll be like, Dennis, have you five or six birds there? And um, I'll have, just to say I got a chronic head swinger. And my dog, my personal dog, Dolly, she is a chronic head swinger. She's, she's one of the ones. So he'll have five or six birds at his feet. And I'll kind of spread the guns out some to where the infraction has to be noticeable to her. They can't, the guns can't be stacked on top of one another. And then you pick on her for head swinging. Right. Because, so we got one over here and then 45 degrees or more, one over here. So when she head swings, she knows what we're doing. Yeah, it's black and, and I white. I started to her. out like we, sir. It's black and white to her. It's black and white to her. And I started out, you know, I would nick her, nick, sit, and make her look back at it. And I noticed pretty quick that that made her a little nervous about it. So what I have to do, I have Dennis, he'll have five or six birds at his feet, and and he'll shoot and throw. And then if she looks off of it, I'll hold my hand out, he'll shoot and throw. We may throw that bird five or six times until she'll look at it good and then I'll take may take it out as a single. Very good. Um and then sometimes if she if she comes out and she sticks on it good there, I may let her have the, the next bird. So it's just one of those deals you have to play about ear and it changes from dog to dog. You know. Hippie and Buck, Chief, those guys, man, they come out there and you put that bird down and they'll stare a hole in the ground. Nice. But the little Dolly, man, she's gonna look at she's gonna look at that other gun, and you can tell that she's trying her butt off because she'll look at it to the ground and then she'll pull her ears back, like, <laughs> like uh... let me know that I know that I'm supposed to look at this bird, boss man. You know, so that's um, awesome. And sometimes, like a dog that's a, a head swinger, you can throw that bird and let it hit, and as soon as he looks at the next gun, quick send him, and if he if he goes after um, if he tears out after the gun that didn't even throw, then you have some ground for, you know, maybe making a scene out of that deal. Right. You with me? Yeah, I'm with you. That's cool, man. But, but I throw multiples, man. I, I do. So, so how many a week? How many a day? Are you doing doubles? Are you doing triples? Are you, I mean, describe maybe your your week if you could. All right. So. You, do, you want me to describe my week as for like my big dogs or like my week in general? Uh, I was thinking, talk about I was thinking, dogs? yeah, I was thinking of in terms okay. of how many marks you're throwing and what, you know, are you doing double doubles? Um, that kind of thing. But I'm down with just having yeah. people understand what you do in a week. That's cool too. Oh, you know, I hardly or rarely do a double-double. I know a lot of people love double-doubles, but um, if I do, if I if, say I got a set of marks out, if I do a multiple, 
that's going to be kind of that multiple for today. So if I have two guns, say I have two bird boys, I may I may put a double down, then have one of the guys drive out and do a long single up the up the gut mm-hmm. um, after we've done that double, or I may come out, take out the long single, then come back and do a double. If we have three gunners, you know, I may throw it as a triple. Um, so, but if we have say we got we're going to do three marks in this set today i i did a double with a poison bird blind and then i came back with some singles after that on land okay um so tomorrow we're going to water we'll get a set of water marks and then probably finish off the day with a water blind or two gotcha and I'm only going to get one set of watermarks in because one of them's going to have some swimming into it, probably, and it's going to eat up, just eats up so much time that right. you just don't get as much done on the water as you can on the land. Yeah. Like today, we threw them on the dirt, and it just went, it went fast. Which that- today we threw, you know, I was, I was brought up from those field trialers, you know, and they were like, we put the long bird down first you know, a very, very high percentage of the time. So, and then I ran into a hunt test one time where the short bird came out, then the long bird, and then another short bird, and I had trouble with that. I struggled with it. I got it done, but we struggled. So today, the short bird came out first, and it was thrown kind of in the hip pocket of the long bird, and the long bird came out. <clears throat> then I pulled off of it. I ran a blind out there about 250 or 300, and I came back, and I was focusing on, like that whole setup was around checking down on that short bird thrown in that tall grass with that with that longer gun behind it. So my focus on this deal this morning was I wanted to see my dogs come in, go into that fall with intention, and that we've communicated together to get that short bird. Do you that communicate do, with like an easy or something like that? That's right. That's what I say. Easy. Um, and I'm not one of these that goes easy, easy, and whispers to them. I come back, I say easy, easy. I don't, I feel like if you're whispering to them, you're begging them to do it. I come back, I tell them easy. That means you're going in on a short bird. Not every dog did it today, but the majority of them did very well. <clears throat> it was hard because there was short, the long bird was out in some short grass, and it, they were tight enough that if they got to hunting that, short bird very hard they could see the long bird laying on the ground out there when i say long bird it was probably 90 yards mm-hmm. and the short bird was probably 35 or 40 can you describe was, to people what a hip pocket is real quick um a hip pocket is um you have your long bird and then your short bird throws in the hip pocket like we throw into the hip pocket of the, of the long gun, of the long gun station so which is which is to me one of the hardest concepts to do because, you know, it's almost like when you're teaching that deal, Bob, they, they work so hard not to pile back in that short gun that they'll split those two gunners. Do you see that a lot? Yes. Yeah. So it almost gives them, an, I call it an alley. And once they get past that, that short gun, because they focus so hard on don't go back in there, that they'll end up backdooring that the long gun. Right. What do you do a, when they do that? Do you handle them or do you have your gunner help? I, I would probably handle right there. And Jeff Horsley taught me a 
um, a saying one time that you, you help on a short bird and handle on a long bird right there. And okay. I kind of, that kind of stuck with me and it's, it's been good to me. You like today, those birds were so tight that there was no pressure involved. If a dog, um, if it, if it hunted that bird or even blew right by, it, there's no pressure involved because you start putting pressure around on those dogs, those birds piled in there together pretty tight, man. They're going to get nervous when something, when, even when they see it at the hunt test, and they come up there and the marks go down, they're going to automatically get nervous. And you can't get those marks with a nervous dog. No. I don't think so. No, I couldn't agree with you more. We had Clark Kennington on maybe a year ago, and he said in the last year or two, he had done things differently and taken pressure away because for him, he was seeing more success with the dogs that were under control but comfortable. They weren't, like, looking down the shore and worried about, you know, the decision they had to make. They knew what to do right. They knew to get in the water and swim down the shore. But if you got on them too much and created too much pressure on get in or, you know, now they go too fat into the water and go out to sea or they just, like you said, pin their ear back and and you can tell. And he just got more work out of the dogs and more success when they were comfortable and so that's that fine line of you do have to teach using pressure and collar and right and wrong and hold them to a standard and whatever but they have to maintain a level of confidence in themselves to make a decision absolutely and that dog is out there he's when when they're when it's a situation like that he's not purposely just and you screw yourself. He's out there looking for a duck. And if you go to get on a dog while he's looking for a duck, that's going to create nervousness, and they're not going to end up being comfortable and get comfortable enough to find it. Right. I just don't think you can put a ton of pressure on them, and I have before. But I'm saying, I'm saying this because I feel like I've learned from my past. My first master national was a disaster. I think I took eight and passed three, but they had a blind where you had to run down the land and I lost four dogs because I couldn't get the suckers out of the water. Right. So that's what makes the national so hard, man, is she got to be able to run down the land on a blind. And then you got to turn around and run a water blind down the shore in the water. Right. Again, you got to have a balance in, in it. If they're, if you're making them be too watery and, and make running land, such a bad thing to them, then we actually, in, in Ohio, uh, two weeks ago, we had to run a blind right down the shore. And we were all sitting there looking at ourselves like, what the heck? You know, come on. They'll do that before you train them. Yeah. You know, it. it's just, but it makes sense. The dogs who, <clears throat> excuse me, weren't getting chewed up and spit out for, making a mistake, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to describe it and I'm not doing a good job. I feel like, but some trainers and, and people who work dogs, you know, water's a good place to be. And if you get out of the water, they make it hot. So they make the land hot with the collar, get back in the water. Things are good. And so if you do that too much and too much pressure, then 
the dog's going to be nervous and say, I better get in the water. Well, what happens if you've got to run a blind down the on land near the water? And you've got a dog that's trying to be good. They're trying to do the right thing, but ultimately they're doing the wrong thing for that specific situation. And so you lose. You're out. It's like you've conditioned them to know not to do that. It's exactly what you're doing. But, Absolutely. But it's it's done so harshly by some people that that dog is you are not going to get them to get out and get onto land. So I think I used to be one of those guys, Bob. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I had to learn right. that, you know, I remember saying, man, if that dog sees water, he better get in the water. And I, you can't be that way, especially these days because your dogs have to have too much balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a dude. Training a dog is not easy. <laughs> You know, it really isn't. There's so many little nuances. I, I say it over and over again. It's, it's a finesse game. It's not, you can't, you can read it in a book, but then when that book doesn't describe X, Y, and Z, and you're like, well, my dog is doing X, Y, and Z. What do I do? Well, that's finesse. Read the dog. You said it earlier in the podcast with the coon dogs teaching you how to read a dog. Is the dog nervous? Is the dog overexcited? Is the dog, you know, what's going on in that dog's brain and how do I overcome it? It's all finesse. It's all, we are standing on our feet all day long. Every single dog is different and every single dog is going to make a decision and we have to be instantaneous with how we handle it. It's very hard, actually. <laughs> it's very hard, especially <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day when it's been hot and you're tired, you may, you know, you may make a mistake that you you shouldn't do with a certain dog, Yeah, but you may be at your wit's end that day, you know? Yep. Yeah, I know it. So what's the game plan, man? When are you going to Minnesota? Do you have training group? What are you doing? I, I just I booked do. an I Airbnb. Did you? Um man, I'm I'm very fortunate enough that Tyler and them kinda handle that deal. I train with um Tyler Patterson and Jimmy Rogers. They're two of my best buddies. Um we we're all we're gonna go together and we're gonna They've got us a place to stay in with training ground. So, man, that's going to work out good. And good for you. I'm not exactly sure if what we'll try to do, the test to start on Saturday, we will get there that Monday evening and try to train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday's pretty much a wash. Right. Because of the handlers meeting and all that. Yeah. Bitch check, whatnot. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get on Tuesday night. That's our game plan. And I think we're going to try and right. pre-train for four or five days somewhere in the middle, Kentucky, Illinois. So anybody listening to the podcast, if you got some technical water and some hay fields, feel free to, you know, drop a pin and send me a link and, uh, whatever. But we're going to try to me and Blaine and our buddy Oliver are going to try and meet up somewhere in the Midwest and then, you know, give the dogs a break from traveling, get a couple days of rest and training, get up there four or five days before the test. Our Airbnb is, it's in the farming area. So I'm hoping that we can go shake hands with some farmers and, and run in their grounds. Um, but it, we're also kind of crossing our fingers a little bit. That's what we did last year. We stopped over in, in Georgia and trained which was only an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes from Sherrall. 
Yeah. So we, we stopped there. And, um, and the reason we go, just to tell everyone that's just listening, is, you know, we try to go get there and have our dogs air in a familiar place and have a chance to run around. If you can imagine riding 12 hours in a vehicle when you get out, how stiff and, you know, we call it road rash. We like to get there, knock the road rash off of them. You know, the hay is in the barn at that point, Bob. So, you know, your training is pretty much done. You're just trying to bring them up to that high point at that point. You know, that exactly. last that last little bit, you know, with, of, of the pre-national deal is, you know, you try not – you focus on the dog's strengths versus their weaknesses. Exactly. Now, one um, thing that I did, and right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, you know, I'll get your opinion because you've been to more than I have, but a lot of the mornings I would air them good. I would let Memphis and Cruz and Ember just be a dog and just air them good. You know, me and them would take a nice walk, have coffee, burn a little bit of steam, and then I would do obedience. And yes, sometimes we would go out. Most days we would try and go out and do something just to keep them moving and in their head in the game. But I would just do obedience. Walk nice on a leash, come out of a holding blind, sit down, sit still, watch the other dog go. Sit still, then I grab the next dog and just calm down, sit down, don't do anything but sit. And I, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, it worked. I like it. I don't know. What do you, what do you do? What is your, like the, you know, if you got to run a dog that day, what do you do in the morning? Do you do anything to get your head straight or their head straight? Man, I, I, I don't have a routine. You know, I air them good, let them run around that morning, you know, and, you know, clean themselves out, make sure they're hydrated. I just, I just go up there and just like I would any other weekend, you know, it's a good attitude, man. It's, uh, I just, I'm not saying I love what, I love what you just said. I think that's awesome, but, you know, I don't get them out doing the obedience or any of that type of stuff. Nothing special. All, like you said, all your work is already done. You you did the right things leading up. Now it's just up to getting it done. That's right. I just put trust in the, in the work that I have done leading into that. Cause, you know, I work really hard, not just on those national dogs, but we work hard, period. You do too. I mean, Anybody that's successful at this game has to work hard. And I just put my trust in the work we've done and in in our preparation. And, and hopefully, that, as Jimmy Rogers say, hopefully the training don't run out before that deal is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, he's talking about Jimmy Rogers, the guy that was on our last podcast. So if you haven't listened to it yet, you should. Um, it was great. Oh, man. We had a good time. We had a good time. He's such a good dude. He is, man. He's, I talked to Jimmy today. You know, me and him and Tyler were on a, a little three-way call, and we, we were discussing some stuff, and then we just got to talking. But he's such a yarn spinner, man. He's just great storyteller. Oh, yeah. Um, I love to listen to him. He's done everything. He's got a story for everything. Oh, yeah. So, um, he's a, a fabulous cook. you got to go down and hunt with him and let him cook for you. Well, I'd do that in a heartbeat, buddy. We should try and have a little post-Master National training day where we eat and hang out and have get, fun. Get Jimmy the fry some pork chops for us. Oh, yes. Dude, they're the best I've ever eaten. We yes. took some to the blind the next morning. It was like, 
He's like, you know, we're going to eat these cold. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We get out there, and he's like, let's break some pork chops out. We're eat, both of us has got a pork chop. You know, me and Jimmy are big old boys. And <laughs> we're both gnawing on old cold pork chops. And some ducks lied in the, in the decoys out there, and we're just like, ah, the heck with it, man. We're going to finish the pork chops. <laughs> Uh, can't you see that a hundred percent i can see that <laughs> uh i've killed enough ducks this pork chop's too good man they are, it's so good but we need to get out there with jimmy and uh, go down it. to his camp and spend some time with him yeah he's such a good guy yeah i would love that man we'll we'll have to do it well adam we are in an hour and six minutes and 41 42 43 seconds tell everybody how they can find you on, on social media if they're in the Tuscaloosa area and want to send a dog to you. Do you have any litters coming up? Oh, no. Don't don't go there yet. And everybody, don't shut this off because everybody shuts it off right when we're ending. Don't shut it off. I want to hear about Blue a little bit more. I, I missed oh, it. So um, we, we dabbled on Blue for a second, the qualified all-age dog, and he's actually yeah. the father to... Izzy, one of the dogs we own and 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 trained here, and and she's she's about to have a litter sometime in the next six months or so, next heat cycle. Um, and she's a bad to the bone little girl. And I want to I want to learn more about Blue. What was he like, dude? Blue, oh, green head, oak couple, Blue Rue was his name. And uh, I'm looking at a picture I'm hanging on my wall here in my little uh, man cave. That, uh, Kathy May when she's about three and Blue's got his head over on her lap there and it's a picture of him that we took that Mr. Stan who owns Blue had framed for me but Blue is a absolute marking machine I mean it's unbelievable I, I know I said Molly was the best marking dog I ever had it'd be a toss up between her and Blue you know she couldn't do the type of stuff that Blue could do though that first open I went to with him Man, I, I walk up there, and they got two retired at, like, 450, Bob. Mm. And then a flyer out there, like, a hundred and a quarter, and you had to go right off of his butt, out out of sight, and down. And old Blue comes up there. They shoot. They put him down. He goes out to the flyer. Pop. Goes out to the right hand, retired. Blue. Pop. He, he just hammered that sucker. And I lined him up on that one off the back side of the flyer. And he goes out there and just chisels that sucker. I mean, he is an incredible marker. Um, and as good as he is at this type of stuff, he's an even better hunting dog. That's cool. He, yeah, I mean, he, he is, he is a, what I like to call me and uh, Jim Ronquist told me this, this term, a four wheel drive. Very cool. Is what, is what blue is. So. That's very cool. Yeah. We're really excited. Izzy, I mean, if I had to describe her, she is mildly naughty because my aunt has her now. It's my aunt's dog, but I technically own her, and she's got a junior title and and clear on everything. I mean, she's she's ready to roll, but mildly naughty, but in a good-hearted way. You know, happy to see everybody. That's blue. Yeah, bouncing around, gets along well with everyone. And then when it was, you know, for me, when she comes and like stays for a weekend when they go away or whatever, and it's just, she hasn't seen a duck in four or five months, here he'll sit, whap, 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 come on and get you some. And she just loves to mark, 
great in the water, great attitude, learned really quickly, you know, probably one of the easier dogs I've ever force fetched. I don't know how blue was, but she was super easy and, uh, just a nice little dog. Great personality. Um, she got the prettiest eyes. Yeah, she does actually. Um, they're like a light hazel colored. She's just a real pretty little dog. Um, so I'm excited. You know that dog out of Birmingham, right, Bob? If yes, sir. Mistaken. Yep. All right. Yes, so that dog goes back to Jim Wood's dog over here, Rascal and Maggie, which are two phenomenally good marking dogs, also. Yeah. Yeah. So that dog, she has to have marking genes, man, because she comes from she comes from some very very nice marking dogs. Yeah, I wish we could do more with her, but you know. It, it is what my aunt wants. I gave her the dog, and she's happy as can be with her, and, and we'll have a litter or two out of her and, and figure out a good male that's going to enhance her strong qualities. But, uh, yeah, it's neat to hear about Blue. I'm 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 really excited to pass on his genes. Uh, I'm telling you, you can't go wrong with one of those right there, I promise you. Absolutely. All right, now we can hear about how we find you you know, where, where guys, if, if you've got openings in, you know, the next six months, whatever things are going on, give your little sales pitch. Um, let it rip buddy. Man, I, you can find us, um, on Instagram, Camp, uh, Campbell's Hillside Kennels is what it is on Instagram. And we have a Facebook. Um, you're not going to get me on there. You <laughs> may get my wife or, or Austin, my, my assistant, but, you know, you're not going to get me on there, but you can find me on, on Instagram and, you know, feel free to call me if I can ever help. If you got a flat tire on the side of the road and need help, call me. It ain't got to be about a dog. Very good, man. So, well, I enjoyed, I, well, I know it. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on and, you know, just hear more of your backstory and get to know you better. And I cannot wait to see you in Minnesota and just, do this again so thank you for joining us everybody check out adam campbell campbell's hillside kennels on instagram and uh everyone cheers have a great rest of your day hey do me a solid if you enjoy the show if you enjoy our instagram if we've helped you at all join patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters if you do it before september of 2023 you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs, and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.